This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have at this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Ricardo Garcia Amaya, CEO of VOIQ. I helped a friend run for mayor, Providence, Rhode Island, the capital of the state of Rhode Island. And I helped them set up the technology specifically for his campaign in terms of virtual call centers. So how to get people out to vote, how to, on the fundraising side as well. In that, looking at that technology at that time, I realized that nothing has changed in 10 years. So I said, you know, this is really, this technology needs a big shift the origination part of, of the idea was just how difficult it triggered by the fact that you need it in a political campaign. You need volunteers, source volunteers to make calls on behalf of the candidate, etc. Why is it so human capital intensive to carry out these simple calls? We were not doing, you know, rocket science over the phone. So, you know, how can we create these small conversations and, and gather answers to specific questions through the phone? And that's, that's what sparked the process of creating VOIQ. This is Ricardo. He's a Y Combinator alumnus and recently recognized as a Silicon Valley top diverse Tech 40 under 40. He has an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business and an undergraduate degree in politics from NYU. Ricardo is an Aspen Institute Innovator Fellow as well as an NYU Stern Berkeley Center for Innovation Fellow. In 2017, he founded VOIQ together with his brother. VOIQ is disrupting the call center space and empowers companies to use human-like AI voice bots for highly personalized inbound and outbound calls. It allows businesses to qualify thousands of sales calls in minutes at half the cost of call centers. It can do that by leveraging thousands of professional VOIQ on-demand call agents who work from the VOIQ app on their smartphone. VOIQ is the API of sales qualification calls online and aspires to become the largest workforce of call agents worldwide. And this triggered me, and hence I invited Ricardo to my podcast. We explore the power of actually speaking with people, but how cost and scale challenges hold us back from maximizing its use. We then dive into how to overcome this challenge, what use cases are ideally suited, and what needs to be done differently to execute in a remarkable way. By listening to this interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, 
How you can transform a service that's not been changed in decades by combining ideas from other industries. Secondly, how can you keep increasing scale and quality by creating an automated loop of listening, learning and optimizing. And thirdly, how to stay relevant in a world where the half time of your product is months, not years. So hi Ricardo, welcome and yeah, thanks for being a guest on my podcast today. Thank you, Don. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure actually how it is all started, but it must be a trigger that, that entered in my inbox that made me aware of what your company is doing. How do you pronounce it? VOIC, right? V-O-I-Q. It's voice yeah. over intelligence. Exactly. Okay. That's the... Kind of play on words on V-O-I-P and I-Q. That's I, should have, I should have done my homework on that, <laughs> but I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> no, no. And by the way, we always say, how do you pronounce it? Our customers can decide how to pronounce it. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's first of all, the name, the name is, is catchy. That's played into, and I, and I can see from a distance, of course, that this is about voice. And voice, of course, is a technology that is really, really booming right now. And yeah, my interest was typically, you know, how can we start to leverage voice and platforms around voice to do things within the enterprise that we've never been able to do before? And hence, of course, inviting you to my podcast. But before we start, it's always interesting to, for my audience to get a little bit of, of information about the people behind Ricardo. So if you would characterize yourself with two or three words, what would that be? I guess curious and determined. And I don't know how you mix those two, but that's somewhere in there. Would be, I've would heard be the those best before. Way. And these are typical characters of CEOs running companies that are doing, that, yeah, that are transforming something. That's for sure. I mean, to, to give you a clue on that, the whole word, word curious, it's chapter four in my book. It's essential for companies to be curious in, in order to stay on the forefront and uh, yeah, create remarkable things. So very good characteristic to have, by the way. So um, I, w- I would add patience, which is usually not associated with tech founders, <laughs> but well, I think it's very important to make it, you know, to get across. I think that really matches with your word determined. And it's all about, you know, you believe in something and you are determined and patience in order to see it unfold. So um, that's correct. That makes yeah. sense. That's how I would translate it. So we, we, we talked about the, the name of your company. You founded that company 2014, I've seen. That's what is correct. the big idea behind it? Yeah, so I'll tell you a quick background in how it, how it evolves. I was born in New York, raised in the outskirts of Bogota, Colombia. Have you been to South America? No, actually, no. Yeah, so this should definitely should put it on your wish list. And yeah, I was raised in a farm and family, my two br- younger brothers outside of Bogota. And then my, my dad worked for the Colombian government. So he was appointed to ambassador to the United Nations. So when I was 15 or so, we moved to New York. I finished high school there along with my two younger brothers and my, my family. My mom and my dad kept going to different posts, London, Madrid, and eventually Bangkok. He's finally retired recently. And, but, but the three brothers stayed in the U.S. And, you know, we finished our studies. We did, we, we're here. We're married, et cetera. So I, I went to NYU undergrad. I ran a technology consulting firm, ran out of my dorm room, pretty much. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to graduate. And after that, I mean, working with customers like Best Buy, one of the largest electronic retailers in the United States, and yeah. the New York Public Library, one of the largest library systems in the world. 
as customers. Then I decided to get my MBA at NYU. After my MBA, I had an awesome opportunity to work on the third term of Michael Bloomberg as a mayor in New York City. So I was in his mayor, in the mayor's office of Michael Bloomberg administration. And I got to work on developing the technology roadmap for the city, which was an incredible opportunity, super exciting. After that, I helped a friend run for mayor, Providence, Rhode Island, the capital of the state of Rhode Island. And I helped them set up the technology specifically for his campaign in terms of virtual call centers. So how to get people out to vote, how to, on the fundraising side as well. And that, looking at that technology at that time, I realized that nothing has changed in 10 years. So I said, you know, this is really, this technology needs a big shift. So I decided to start my company, BOIQ. I lived in New York for 20 years in New York City. And then I decided to move to Silicon Valley with my wife, who now works at Google. And we went through Y Combinator, which is the, one of the top technology investors in the world. Got incredible mentors like Michael Siebel, who sold his company Twitch for a billion dollars to Amazon. Gary, who sold his company to Twitter and now has a $500 million fund with Alexis Sanahan, the co-founder of Reddit. So we went through Y Combinator, raised $5 million, and here we are, and we are, and I can definitely share with you. So that's, it evolved from helping a friend run for mayor in Providence, Rhode Island, and, and looking at that technology having to do with telephony and call centers and virtual call centers and humans and the capacity of leveraging voice bots at that point was too early. But that's the origination point. And since then, you know, we've evolved a lot. Interesting. What a journey. Like what problem did you encounter when you were working with that technology? What was something that really had to be solved? And yeah, why did you choose to, to do that with... VOIQ. Yeah, I think, I mean, when the origination part of, of the idea was just how difficult it triggered by the fact that you need it in a political campaign, you need volunteers, source volunteers to make calls on behalf of the candidate, etc. And some of the calls are extremely simple. And so I said, there's got to be a way to make this to scale this without requiring so much effort in depending on volunteers leveraging technology. You know, why do we ask him to come to an actual type of call center? Why can't this do it from home? And if they do it from home, the tools should be much better and we should be helping them and optimizing the way that they do these calls. And that translated into, well, businesses need this and the willingness to pay obviously is much higher. The market is, you know, we, we yeah. can transform the 150 billion industry of, of the way that businesses make these type of calls. And, but yeah, it was the fact that why is it so human capital intensive to carry out these simple calls? We were not doing, you know, rocket science over the phone. So, you know, how can we create these small conversations and, and gather answers to specific questions through the phone. And that's, that's what sparked the process of creating VOIQ. Yeah. Typically, of course, yeah, scaling things out and yeah, asking hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people, sort of the same question. I understand that one. I mean, what, what intrigues me, VOIQ, I mean, what is the IQ part in there? Has that, has that got to do with intelligence? Yes. So when we launched our company initially, voice bots were not quite ready 
to handle a small conversation. I'll go in a little bit more into, you know, voice bots are pretty much robots that can carry a conversation with you and specifically in our case over the phone. And at that point, when we initially launched, voice bots were not quite ready. We were waiting for it. So initially the platform was helping companies, we work with companies like Airbnb, InBev, one of the largest brewers in the world, carry out campaigns in different countries around the world. And what we were helping them do is leveraging, we had hundreds of on-demand professional sales agents that were making calls through our software from home. Just think of it kind of like the Uber model. And we were, our software was analyzing everything they were saying in these calls and optimizing because we were measuring about 25 different criteria. And based on that, we were optimizing all the things that we could do automated were optimized automatically. And the rest, we would be able to share with the call agents or the call agents would be able to know how to improve the way that they're carrying out those calls through our software. So that's part of the intelligence, listening to a conversation and optimizing as many things as you can in the background for them, in many ways, sort of sales enablement. And and after that, educating them into how, what are the better tactics or to be successful on the phone gathered from data from their peers in specific campaigns. Let me make a small interruption here. Ricardo just illustrated how VRQ is leveraging technology and business model concepts like Uber's to solve a sizable problem for its clients in relation to reaching their customers around the world in the most human, scalable, and cost-effective way. It's a typical example of creating new value possibilities on the one hand side and defensible differentiation on the other hand. Examples like these inspired me to write my book, The Remarkable Effect, in which I reveal the 10 core traits that define those software companies we simply cannot stop talking about. Having this book allows you to learn how to master those traits as well. And with that, get noticed in a dense market and start winning more and bigger. In fact, if you want to not only learn, but also execute on closing the gaps on each of these traits, consider joining our tribe and level up with peers. Simply go to valueinspiration.com to learn more. Back to the interview. So you give them sort of, while they're on the phone, you give them advice or prescriptive guidance. During the phone conversation, a lot of the data is gathered. After the phone conversation, the the advice is provided to the call agents. And, And that led the way about a year and a half ago, we've been working with voice bots on our lab for a while, and we were not quite confident that we could yet put it out there. Not until about a year and a half ago, I'm not sure if you, you remember a moment where Google unveiled their Google Assistant where they leverage voice bots to call a hairstylist and make yeah. a yeah, reservation. Yeah. At that point, that basically was the fire shot, basically saying this is ready for prime time or at least within the next couple of years. And at that point, we decided, all right, let's go all in with voice bots. And we basically had the Uber moment that Uber is still waiting for, which is transitioning from human drivers to self-driving technology. We had it earlier and we made the transition and we focus only on carrying out warm and conversational calls for businesses with their customers and with their prospects over the phone. And we've been doing that maybe for a year and a half, a little bit longer maybe. We're the first SaaS company to offer this product or this technology to businesses to be able to do this on their own. Well, so the company starts with your, with your platform. And then 
the calls that are coming in or the call, like, is it yeah they, they do the unbound calls or they I'll, also re re receive calls Yes, that's a great question. So initially, the platform launched on outbound calls. So I can give you plenty of examples. I think it's probably the easiest way to understand the use case, the technology. So one of the one of the biggest uh, qualities of leveraging voice bots is that, as I mentioned, they sound human-like. They don't sound perfectly human. They sound like a human. I think that that's something that will come over the next couple of years. But they can also carry out a very basic conversation, a guided conversation. And so a use case for our voice bots are a, let's say you have a company that sells, I don't know, car insurance and they have a website and they capture people on their forms that are interesting to learn more. Or in the moment that somebody, for example, signs up to a form, let's say you, Ton, fills out a form. VoiceBots can also be triggered automatically based on actions throughout different channels. So if you fill out a form for car insurance, uh, you will get a call within, you know, let's say five minutes. It says, hi, Tan, thank you for your interest in, in X car insurance. And I just have an additional, two additional questions that I would like to ask you, right? So it's warm because you just, you know who it is because sure. you were just on their website. And so it basically brings the power to any business the power that only huge companies like Salesforce, who are probably the best leader, the best company in terms of leveraging the call channel for business, mm -hmm. this provides that, brings that arsenal to any business in the world that wants to be able to have that level of intelligence of engaging their customers when they are thinking of your product across different channels. Interesting. So what, what is the impact of that, if you get that right? I mean, where do you see the impact? Is that increased sales? Is that, has it got any impact on customer experience or even better, turning customers into advocates? Um, yeah, so all of the, the above, the most base, I mean, the, the immediate one is efficiency. And I guess when you bring efficiency, it turns into all of those that you mentioned. I'll give you another example. When you have in sales, and I'll focus in sales because that's our first our first ideal customer profile that we are engaging with, now we're engaging with pretty much across every department that wants to, that are interested in learning how to leverage voice bots. We are working so many different use cases. The, the use cases are so uh, broad in scope. But in sales, 50% of, when you're a salesperson, business development, and you set up a demo to show a demo of your product, Roughly 50% of your demos do not show up just for life reasons, right? They forget or they have something else, something else comes up. So a voice bot could be automatically triggered to call, let's say, Tan, you're going to have a demo with me in 15 minutes. Voice bot automatically calls you and says, hi, Tan, this is a voice bot from, you know, BOIQ. Just wanted to check that you are able to make the, the demo with Ricardo in 15 minutes. Will you be able to do that? And if you say yes, no, whatever, it says, well, we can also schedule it. We can also reschedule it for a later time and the voice bot can reschedule it for you, et cetera. So in terms of efficiency, that just for yeah. the for the salesperson, a BD, a business development person, that means an incredible amount of time saved. And you multiply that by every any other similar case across departments. The use cases are endless and I am happy to share more really interesting use cases of voice bots in logistics when you are coordinating, you know, 50,000 employees across the country that provide home services. 
you know, a voice bot can call you and say, hi, Tan, are you already in disappointment? Are you late? How are you doing? Any issues, right? So you can leverage that cold channel when you have a huge workforce running throughout the country. So it's not just for sales and marketing. It's for every department. That's one of the True. areas that, that – well, actually, that's one of the challenges that we have, right? I think at the end that, that of course, typically people send – emails earlier than they, they pick up the phone and start calling simply because at the end calling takes much more effort and email is much is, is simpler but again also if you, if you use it the right way you the interaction with customers is, is much more fluid the customer experience come from this will grow at the same time that's the correct i mean yeah it's basically the easiest way to think about it is a brand new channel to your stack yeah. whatever group of technologies you use or channels, this is a brand new one. I wouldn't put it necessarily replacing humans, or at least yet in terms of phone calls, but is yet another, just like email, chatbots, many more of the channels that, you know, that leaders across industries and departments use. Yeah. At the end, it's about scalability and it's about doing, letting humans doing yeah, the difficult stuff, the creative stuff, the solving problem aspects and for focusing on the, where, where the real value comes in. And of course, the rest can be done then by, yeah, in, in different ways. What I've seen over time, and it's an interesting realization in itself, is that before internet, before we started to do everything online, you know, that direct and human connection was there all, anyway. Now things have moved online. Many more things we start to do in a digital way. And we've sort of lost that, that human connection. Is this something that you see that could, yeah, bring that back again? Well, I would say that, well, at the end of the day, you are speaking with a voice bot on our platform. What it is doing, if it's carried out the right way, so that there, even if you have email, this is an example that I mentioned as well, you can misuse email as a business, right? You could prospectively not target properly your audience and send 2 million emails to everyone who's not your ideal customer. And suddenly your brand hurts, you know, you start people necessarily not being being fans of you, right? You get blacklisted on through the email channel. It happens through every channel. You have events, you know, inviting the wrong type of... So with the phone channel is not unlike all the other channels. You got to be careful who you want to engage with and in what order. You mentioned earlier, some people as of now, with digital technology rather start with email before phone. Yes, in certain industries, only the leaders will know the right mix. We, we, you know, I don't have an answer for somebody that comes from a specific industry with a specific target in mind on how to engage or how to customer success or only they will know by trying and adapting the new channel and they'll know whether it comes before, after one of those other specific channels. So that's one of the key things is 99% of businesses right now are not even aware that this is possible. So we're very much in, a, in an awareness campaign on letting business leaders know how they can actually leverage it. And then, then in many ways, you can think of it as Email popped up, you know, let's say you're a business and it's 25 years ago, email popped up or even 20 years ago. And I get a lot of questions where they ask me and say, you know, can I use voice bots for sales? Can I use it for customer success? And I always say, just replace voice bots with like email and take me back 20 years. And that's exactly how it sounds from my end, right? Well, email, that's interesting. I use it to, you know, write to my grandma or whatever. But 
those that were like, how would business leverage email for sales or customer success or customer support? Or, you know, so the, the possibilities are endless. It's a matter of business leaders across departments to learn of where in their solution stack and the group of software that they use, it would fit and where we would move the needle most and at what point. And that's our job is to, in many ways, educate these business leaders and help them think through and help them test where it would move the needle the most in their you know, day-to-day actions. Yeah. yeah. What triggers me at the end is that you're right. This at the edge, so to say, with regards to what is possible these days with technology. And I'm always interested to see, you know, what choices do you make with, with regards to creating your solution? Steve Jobs always said, you know, your innovation is not about what you do, but what you don't do. So the last one and a half years, when you realized that the time was right to, to double up and to, to go for this, what were the things you, you stopped doing or decided to kind of accelerate with regards to this type of solution to, yeah, to really make a bigger impact? Yeah, so I guess I'll answer this from a technology perspective. In yeah. order to make this work, there are several layers of technology that need to mature. Some of them mature at a point enough to have companies like VOIQ surface, right? And that is the ability to turn speech to text, text to speech, natural language understanding, telecommunications, right? And the advances in the past five years made that possible. So VOIQ, I mean, even, you know, two years, it was extremely hard. And still with that, we're the first SaaS platform that allows the, to businesses to leverage this, right? But if we go even five years or 10 years back, it's just one of those or two of those or none of them were mature enough. And AI is definitely the reason why we're able to do this. So, and, and this is an area... The ability to have a human communicate with a robot, in, in a sense, goes back to 19, the 1960s, right? And several huge companies and incredible leaders in the space have worked in it and make great advances, but not until the past, you know, I would say five years, it became viable to create really powerful tools. And this is just the beginning for the enterprise and for businesses. So that's where we are. We're in the very early beginning of not necessarily the work on the technology, which is still super early, but in the ability to leverage all of these technologies to provide great value to companies. Yeah. Okay. So you, you're, you're packaging different technologies up and yeah, of course, you're, you're depending on, on various layers, uh, so to say. Were there any specific mm-hmm. things that you did, did to your solution in order, for example, to have that human-like conversation? Because what, I, what I've seen a lot with chatbots is that they do one thing, and the moment you do something else, they say, I don't understand you. Yes, Which of that's course- an excellent point. So for sure, as I mentioned, the text-to-speech, speech-to-text, natural language understanding, those are sort of the three components, natural language understanding being the brain, and text-to-speech, speech-to-text are the ways that you that manage to process the information through the brain. 
uh, meaning the natural language understanding unit. So those three pieces are the necessary components in order to do this really well. In addition to that, obviously, you have to have great synthetic voices, right? But without those three core components, you don't go, you don't get anywhere. So the NLU, what you mentioned is, well, where is this technology where one, it doesn't sound perfectly human, two, it doesn't really understand everything you say, right? There's still a lot of room for improvement, even in chatbots, I mean, in text chatbots when you engage with a website, right? I would say that the in synthetic voices, we're still from having a perfect sounding voice. Right now, it takes you, you can definitely do it for very narrow conversations, versus wide scope conversations. So let me put it this way. We, in VOIQ, we work with very narrow scope conversations and that's why it's possible. So when we call you in the example that I mentioned before, you filled out a form online and we called you, hi, Ton, thank you for filling out that form online for car insurance company. You know, so, and we will ask you, you know, we have a couple of additional questions. How many miles does your car have, right? Does your car have this? Does your car have that, right? Those are very narrow focus questions and you are not going to provide an answer that is way too out of scope, right? That is, that's where, where the technology is and that's type of the limitation that it has. And that's why our mostly outbound campaigns are very limited. If you manage to create a limited scope, rather, conversation, then you could be very successful. But we're still far off, I would say, five to 10 years from a voice bot to be able to address a wide scope conversation. An example of a wide scope conversation would you be calling a bank or something and, you know, the voice bot would ask you, hey, how can I help you, Ton? And then you would, you know, the, the humans tend to sometimes not be concise and, <laughs> and they'll go on into a long, you know, harangue of, of, of what, what is it, what's the reason they call it, what happened before, or, you know, I had a visitor and my modem stopped working or whatever you're calling your technology company. And that's something that the voice bot right now would not be able to address if it's such a wide scope option of somebody reaching out to you. Yeah. I mean, in this whole process, of course, this, this is like running against the clock almost. What has been one of the toughest decisions that you had to take in that innovation process? Well, uh, yeah, okay. That's a great question, Tan. So the, to make a decision to go all in in voice bots, we are aware that there are plenty of limitations in terms of synthetic voices. Like I said, they don't yeah. sound perfectly human. NLU can, complete, can continue to improve you know, text-to-speech, speech-to-text, all of these are good enough. And our bet is that with what we have, we can provide incredible value to companies. And within six months, every six months, we see incredible, incredible the evolution across all of these three core components. And for example, the lag time in telephony between the moment that you that a voice bot hears you and the moment that the voice bot can actually understand and give you an answer. All of these things had been cut in half over the past three to six months. That's kind of what we see. So it moves really fast and there's definitely a big decision to make when we transition fully to voice bots. And that said, the technology is not perfect, but we have the expertise over three and a half or so years leveraging human agents on the phone through our platform and we're able to optimize everything or said when we replace it with voice bots we already bring that institutional knowledge into in sales automation market automation and we are bringing voice bots into the equation so it makes it there's definitely a risk and that risk is well 
how long will it take for this technology to get to close to, it's hard to say they're perfect, but when it gets to, you know, 90% of evolution to be able to, to be applied to even beyond the narrow cases. And that's the bet, yeah. right? And so, yes, that's the big adjustment, big decision we made. And we said, no, we are taking it. We believe this will move fast and it has. And, you know, and, but that's for sure. That's the big decision that we made when we jumped into voice bots. I mean, at the beginning, there were things that we didn't know whether they were even possible. And within a couple of months, we, 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 you know, we accomplished that. And then we moved on to, and now we're getting to the more nitty gritty, you know, how can we make this voice sound more natural? But now we know the type of conversations that these, the voice bots can have with humans. Now we know that companies do want them and do are learning the many ways that they can use them including how to address, how to disseminate information, how to collect information in a pandemic, right? When you want to yeah. work at scale, you can depend on human, especially when the human resources are strained and the human capital is strained in call centers, et cetera. How can you get the message across to millions of people really fast, have a conversation, ask for their status, ask if they need help in medical attention, ask them if they need meal delivery yeah. and understand what they're saying. That's an example of a very narrow conversation, but at scale, it, it saves lives, right? True. So yeah. that's an interesting use case that we're currently, it keeps us busy. Yeah, I can imagine, especially now. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you said earlier on triggered me, that was the narrow aspect of this. So did it also influence where you go to market? Because you possibly have seen, okay, we can make a perfect case in this area for this particular use case. Did it influence the way you segment the market, the way you position the products? What, what lessons have you learned there? For sure. Yeah, the narrow scope is definitely a factor in how do you select your ideal customer or profile there. And the way, since this is such a new technology, and like I mentioned, most businesses in the world do not even know that they can do this. So when we jump on a demo with mid-market or enterprise company, they usually come with an understanding of what we do. And they usually have one use case in mind, right? And usually the answer is, yes, we can do that. But after that, on the demo, I go on and share the many ways that other companies are using it. And suddenly that in many ways makes them start considering all the different ways that it could apply to their business. And so they start asking way more questions said, wait a second, we have, we're a marketplace, we handle logistics and we have drivers across the country and we want to make sure that they are and update the location wherever they are. Like, could this do this, right? Based on a trigger and an order and an invoice, you know, for finance, for a number of things. And they are writing notes and we are writing notes. <laughs> so, especially with the enterprise, right? Like where one use case could be, you know, a million dollar contract. So we are both writing notes because it's such a new technology. And yeah, so it's always very exciting when we find a use case of that an enterprise customer of ours is looking to onboard that technology too. Yeah. So that well, helps us guide ourselves yeah. as to where, where else can we, who do we share the abilities of voice bots in their corresponding departments? Yeah, exactly. Now, it could actually also, for organizations, it could also become a yeah, competitive differentiation because at the end, it's about what the customer experience. And if you're on top of what you are offering, you're also asking people whether they are home, yes or no, and 
having that that human flavor to it sort of above cold email that already puts you in a better position and then of course it also provides you with efficiency because your driver is going to end up in front of a house where the people are there so yeah um, it's also managing is managing expectations as well as a company yeah. right where do you have your voice bot placed do you want that to be the first time that somebody hears from your company some companies don't want that but once you have them very close to you know like scheduling a demo and like i said you can save time for their for the customer and for their company to make sure that things run smoothly and beyond when they're a customer how was your ticket how was your customer support call that that type of stuff right surveys etc so it could be placed everywhere that responsibility definitely lands on the company and company has different thresholds as to where would they want voice bots to interact. Some wants it to be only internally within the company. Some want it to be all the way at the top of the funnel. First interaction with customers because they're calling thousands of uh, residential owners that are looking to, that could potentially benefit from solar energy and there are millions of them, right? So the difference is, can we do this? Can we not do this? And you know, every company decides where is the best place to leverage a voice bot to have a conversation with a prospect, customer, et cetera. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's a big part of it is evangelizing. So one of the questions that I often discuss with people in my tribe is, is growth. So what do you believe holds you back where it comes to creating growth? Or what could be an accelerator for this? Well, I think in the buyer journey, we are in the awareness stage. And as I mentioned, businesses first need to know that this exists. In the awareness stage, it could be for technology like this could be in terms of what, what's important to us as a technology company. The type of companies that we're dealing with are enterprise companies, you know, average contracts are 250, half a million a year in contracts. So you know, each customer at that point is extremely significant to us as, as a technology startup. But so each of those customers move the needle. So let's say we don't need a thousand customers to move the needle, right? So for us, it's fairly, you know, it doesn't, right now, it's, it, we don't perceive it as difficult to move the needle because of the contract size. But, but in terms of the overall type of industry, well, you also will see many more companies like VOIQ down the road, which just happened to be the first one. I am sure there'll be tens if not, if you think of like the chatbot space, there were, you know, a couple of them six years ago, and now there are hundreds of them, right? And they're unicorns by now. You have companies like Drift, right? You have, so it's same thing with email automation software, you know, maybe there were a handful 10 years ago, and now there are thousands of them, and more than a handful of them are unicorns. So we happen to be there, but with voice bots. And I think, yeah, we happen to be in the awareness stage. The awareness stage goes last, you know, a couple of years, five years, hopefully not 10. The good news for us is at this stage where we are, like I said, you know, at this size of the type of contracts that we're working with, it's definitely moving already the needle. Now, what happens when you are a 50 million revenue company and you need that spinning wheel to move at a bigger pace we'll see that when we get there right but yeah we are definitely in the awareness stage so we haven't even you know it's kind of awareness consideration and decision stage i think that gamut at scale across all uh, you know let's let's put it fortune 5000 businesses is going to take at least 5 years yeah i agree i agree and of course you have the i mean their forecasts 
Yeah, there are forecasts that said that the majority of Fortune 500 companies will be using AI voice technology within the next two years already, right? But AI voice technology comes in many shapes and forms, you know, so it needs to permeate through every department. And yeah, so, so it's definitely awareness stage. Yeah, that's interesting. But well, since you are a front runner in this space, I mean, my, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect. It's about what do remarkable software businesses do different from the pack. So what do you, well, it's always interesting for me to understand from your end, what do you believe is required to, to deliver a remarkable product and to become such a company that actually not only is the front runner, but also stays the front runner? Yeah, there's definitely a double-edged sword on first mover advantage. <laughs> and I think that is time, right? Time, like as I mentioned, you know, one year, two years, three years for businesses to understand the impact and adopt it, et cetera. And when you are a technology startup, well, you don't, you don't have those, you know, you don't have five years on runway from day one, to, you know, at least to, to put it simply. But so that's, that's always the big risk. I tend to, and this is why I also brought up the word patience, which you also mentioned, well, uh-huh. uh, that kind of covered in the original definition as well. But the way that I see it in many ways, when you're doing something, when you work in a space that is revolutionary, and in many ways, kind of binary, right? Like, it either just takes off like wildfire, or it kind of doesn't, right? So, and I think the big differentiator here is that you, I've equated with, you know, being on a surfboard, even though I don't surf, but I, but I recently moved to, <laughs> to the West Coast uh, five years. So I, you know, it's an, I, I feel comfortable enough. So if you're a surfer and is the first time that you go on a surfboard and you're waiting for that big wave, well, it's going to, if the wave shows up, it's going to wipe you off, right? You're going to wipe off, wipe out. And if you condition yourself and prepare yourself for when that wave comes, then you need patience, right? And that's basically where we are right now. We see that big wave and we are first and we're conditioned and we are, we know how to, you know, we, we're experts are surfing at this point. And it's a matter of also, well, how long would that huge wave will, will arrive and which companies will be there or which surfers will be there on their surfboard properly conditioned when that wave arrives. And it's, it's a lot of timing comes into place and patience comes with that, right? And yeah, and there will be surfers that just quit and say, you know, we can't afford, we don't have that type of runway. We don't have a year. We don't have six months, right? And so there's so many factors to it, but I, I think that's why patients knowing, being properly conditioned, waiting for the huge wave to hit. And if you're perfectly positioned, then you're going to write it. And, and you're not going to be the only one writing it. There will be other conditioned surfers writing it. And the market is just so big in this channel. It's very, very similar to the email space, right? You can have several unicorn companies and even beyond consolidation, which we, you know, we're starting to see in the email automation world after a decade, at least of, you know, email automation kind of becoming mature space. So I don't know if the, the analogy kind of no, uh, worked no, no, well I'm, enough. I'm actually, you should see my face here because I'm, I'm actually laughing. I'm smiling ear to ear because, well, you haven't read my book yet, but my book is all about that. So it's, I'm well, now I'm looking the, forward to reading it. <laughs> I'm using the metaphor of big wave surfing. And if you look at the, the, the cover of my book, there's a big wave on it. And I'm actually describing the whole book while I'm on a journey 
to an event in, in Portugal, in Nazaré, where they have the biggest waves in the world. And the whole story of the book is told through the analogy with big wave surfing. So you just made a perfect pitch for it. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, I'm not cra- that means I'm not crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, and it, there's so, there, I mean, you, you made a couple of very strong points there. It is about patient. It is about positioning. It is about which, which wave do you pick and which wave do you don't pick so that at the end you can deliver your best performance on it. And yeah, create that, that perfect 10 for your customers. So yeah, that's, it's interesting. I, I just had to love here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, from the, the learnings that you have been, been gathering over the years, starting your company, and especially the last one and a half year where everything started to technology-wise accelerate, what would you advise peers in your industry to avoid or actually to do in order to, uh, to create a remarkable value? Well, you know, I am in Silicon Valley because it's the epicenter of high risks in thinking in just huge markets and huge transformation. And that's actually the reason why I moved from New York to Silicon Valley. New York being an incredible hub. I mean, I love New York, right? But New York core, it sits on the acronym FIRE, finance, insurance, and real estate. Their core hasn't been in developing products, technology products. So you know, I would be preaching to the choir here in Silicon Valley to think beyond, you know, a simple solution. But that, you know, is extremely risky to think that big because like I said, like in like I guess like like you also know, the bigger the impact, the bigger the wave and and, and the bigger unknown as to when that wave is actually showing up. That wave show up in five years, in ten or twenty or not show up, right? So I, you know, um, my advice is to go really big and, but, but again, I'm like preaching to the choir here in Silicon Valley. <laughs> well, I mean, but yeah, yeah. this is Silicon Valley, but this is, this podcast goes across the world. And I mean, I'm coming from the Netherlands where everything is always much more like, I take it easy to keep it simple, feet on the ground rather than think big. And I think that's a very big difference between attitude between entrepreneurs that are in North America particularly from, from Silicon Valley versus the rest, for example, that are not in, the, in that area. Yeah, and I will say, you know, having family in Latin America and having strong network of technology founders in Latin America by virtue of having my team of VOIQ working from Latin America as well. I get a lot of inbound requests from founders from Latin America and the Latinx community here in the United States, Latinos, on how to fundraise, right? And if you want to fundraise in Silicon Valley, you need to be shooting for the moon. And, and I will say the American companies have an automatic advantage, and that is the market in the United States is so big yeah. that it's always difficult to think of how are you going to make $200 million in revenue, you know, five, 10 years out. If you, the American, the United States market allows you to do that, to stretch it. If you come from a country where a smaller economy, where a specific language is way more difficult to think in those terms. And so when you come and pitch to a, a savvy investor in technology, you know, in Silicon Valley or anywhere in the United States, well, the market just seems super small. So, but it's addressable. It's a matter of, you know, in that conversation, you help them 
think beyond what you project in a couple of years and you just think bigger, right? And, the, and always the push is bigger, bigger. And what else, you know, who else can potentially benefit from your solution beyond this? And how many other countries can you take it to? And how, because that's what you should be shooting for, right? Initially. So that's kind of the conversation that I have with the founders that are not, but I'm not saying this is only with, you know, founders outside the United States. Most of the time are, the majority of founders is, is really a really important exercise is how to think it's just as big as you can. It's an exercise that happens for founders everywhere in the world. And it's probably the number one rule. You know, how do you just go extremely big? And it's super uncomfortable. And I think that's what it is, right? You don't want to fail. You don't want to look like a clown. The great news is that in Silicon Valley is full of people that would sound like clowns around the world, <laughs> you know? And so people are comfortable having these crazy conversations and, you know, 95% of those clowns, you know, clown narrative sounds funny, but no one writes it off because five of those turn into unicorns. So, so yeah. I mean, and I, I agree with you on the thinking big, but I think the, the, the thinking big is not about the, the size of the market, but more, I think, about the size of the transformation that you are creating. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I think the, but when you think of it in numbers, it's in many ways, it's kind of easier and, and the scale, right? Scale is always kind of translates into numbers. So like how many people yeah. can benefit from it, right? So if it's a mission driven type of technology, you got to think beyond your country. You got to think beyond your language. You got to think beyond, you know, you got to think 10 years out, right? And yeah, best case scenario. And, and so, yeah, it's a scale of numbers. Yeah. Whether you grab revenue or you grab safe lives or whatever it is, right? True. No, and that scale, of course, is much more interesting and much more easier to address than, than it was 20 years ago. I mean, I, when I started my career in the Netherlands, you know, the Netherlands was like big enough because <laughs> the next country speaks a different language. And yeah, are you going to implement it there because you have to drive there with your car because it's an on-premise implementation. And these days with cloud, it's like the, the doors are open to everybody. Very interesting. Exactly. So what is next for you? Where do you want to be in, no, let's, let's not call it two years, but 12 months? Well, in 12 months, we are looking to raise our next funding. So, you know, we raised 5 million in our seed. So that's what, as a, as a founder, that's where we'll be uh, spending some of my time <laughs> within sure. the next 12 months. And in order to, to scale and to, uh, in many ways, expand our awareness campaign because it continues to be awareness we, we're just we just our goal is to have as many leaders across industries and mid-market enterprise to understand how it works and if we do that everything else you know will will fall into place yeah that's interesting i mean we haven't even discussed that topic and i just yeah i have to go i have to ask the question so how do you do that as a small company create awareness for something that is not there yet people are not asking for it have you got yeah. any anecdotes on that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's extremely hard. You have to become a thought leader. You have to be on, yeah. on conferences, you know, a keynote. And right now, I mean, we, I gave a, a keynote on AI Voice in San Francisco at the Chatbot World Conference, same thing in New York. And you get, you start engaging in conversations with right people that are the yeah. lead that that technology in their companies and uh, and start spreading, right? And it yeah. moves significantly. I mean, at, at our scale, like I mentioned, we don't need, you know, 200 clients with no, you know, million dollar contract this year. So it definitely moves the needle having every single enterprise client that we signed and we on board moves significantly the needle. So because of our stage, because we're early technology startup, 
I would yeah. say, we you know, within the next couple of years, that will be, and this happens to pretty much every technology startup, right? It's easy yeah. when it hits, it's easy to scale to a certain number. And then, you know, how do you go from 10 million to 100 million or whatever? I mean, I, yeah. mean, I use the revenue model just to kind of set up a bar there. But yeah, it, it gets progressively difficult at scale, especially when it comes to awareness. So yeah, I mean, it's a huge challenge. And in many ways, you're paving the way for the other companies that will come up and, you know, not the first movers, the second and third movers. And, but you know what? I mean, I think there's so much room and it will happen. And that's part of, you know, you have an advantage and you have a disadvantage to being first mover yeah. advantage. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta know yeah. what it comes from. Exactly. And that's the way, that's where the word patience comes in again and, and being determined because you have to kind exactly. of, yeah, create that voice out there. Very good. So where can people go to find out more about VOIQ? And to say hi to you. Yes. So they can visit our website, voiq.com. And if they want, happy to shoot me an email to ricardo at voiq.com. That's simple. So thank you very much, Ricardo. Inspiring talk. Interesting perspective you have on a couple of things. And that's always what I try to get out of these, these calls. So very good. Well, good luck with your company and, and scaling it up and riding that big wave. Thank you very much, Tan. Pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. It was a and pleasure. I look forward to reading your book. I might perfect <laughs> my analogy now. <laughs> you gave it a lot of thought, so I'm just going to borrow yours for now and give you credit for it. Thank you. I appreciate it. And this finalizes my conversation with Ricardo, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or thoughts about this episode, please let us know. And if you liked it and got inspired by it, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning in to this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Ricardo Garcia Amaya, CEO of VOIQ. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. 
Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.